You're listening to Soho Radio's Culture Channel. On SohoRadioLondon.com. to the March 2022 edition of Roaring Twenties Radio. This is the monthly radio show for the 2020s, bringing you the best in art, culture, books, poetry and activism. This is episode 26. We have an amazing show for you today. I'm here with you. I'm Selena Godden and I'm here with... Amma Rose. And Matt Abbott. If you want to tweet along, you can find us where, Matt? Uh, we're on at Roaring Twenties Radio and the 20s is two zeros, two zero S. On Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook. There you go. You can find us and tweet along if you want. We have an incredible show, but let's kick off how we mean to go on. How are we starting the show, Amarose? Starting this show with a little bit of respect. I should bloody think so too. S-P-E-C-T. 
It's an International Women's Day special on Roaring Twenties Radio and we have a packed show for you today. Here live in the studio we have Violet Malice. Now Violet Malice makes these incredible poetry videos on YouTube. Um, I've become a huge fan and have subscribed and following following them following them and watching them and re-watching them and just loving them. So uh, hello and welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, did you have a nice journey getting here? Is it all right? Yeah, sun's shining. So tell me a little bit about these amazing, amazing videos that you've been making. And it's poetry. The project started in lockdown, yeah? Yeah, so I've never really wanted to do anything that's online. So I've always been resistant to it. But lockdown made me sort of realise that I had to find an audience that wasn't a live one. So it's still uncomfortable for me. I still put them out and don't really know... What I'm looking, you know, it's just a way for me to sort of be creative outside of the stage, really. Yeah, because I remember seeing you live doing your Red Raw shows. I remember the last one I saw was at the Cockpit Theatre. Yeah, so that and that was for International Women's Day in 2018. Um, Before times. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like you know a lifetime ago, but yeah, it, it was all about you know performers who have distinct sort of. Um, unconventional voices but you know voices that should be you know heard and should be conventional actually um but yeah i always my main thing is like live performance and i've resisted so i've resisted sort of any publishing or any sort of stuff online but lockdown sort of strong armed me into it so the yeah the video i don't know whether i'd call them amazing i suppose i'd just say they're like just things to make me feel as though I'm still communicating with and an audience. Connecting, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're a bit experimental, you know, they're not perfect, they're not, I don't really know what I'm trying to achieve, but they're just like a mishmash of things. Well, I think, I think they're brilliant and I think they're really evocative and really stirring and, and I think you're saying a lot about respect and about women and women in relationships and about abuse and just so much. There's so many levels going on there that I'm, maybe that's just me, but that I'm, I'm seeing in it. Um, is there that intention in there? I suppose, I, I think my writing in particular, I've always tried to capture that feeling of how that inability to communicate, so the limitations of language and how a lot of the time we say something and we don't even know what we mean or we're trying to say something that we something we can't articulate. So definitely I think that's what I do in all of what what I'm trying to do is sort of say, like, look how complex this all is. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. And but there's so much going on. So yeah, they do touch on all those themes because I suppose that's what I care about, you know, and that's my story. So I suppose that's what I try and articulate. Shall we hear um, a little bit of one of these poems now? Yeah, would you, you would you read for us? Of course. Thank yeah. you so much. So this is called Father Unknown. On my birth certificate, it says Father Unknown. But we all know that's not true. What woman doesn't have the means to find out who she fucked, even if, even if she didn't care to take down his name during the twilight feast of flesh behind a skip in Morrison's car park? What father unknown implies is that my mother is a loose woman. What that birth certificate screams is that my fucking mother is some sort of human bottle bank for cocks. But we all know who my father is. Or should I say, 
we all know who that sack of biology is. So it is far from father unknown. It is father deemed unfit for purpose. I am more than happy with bastard being my middle name. So I have crossed out the inaccuracies on my birth certificate and written Father Clint Eastwood because if it's going to be a lie it might as well be a good one. Of your baby pink, 
Radio. I'm Emma Rose. I'm here with Selena and Matt and Violet. Um, and we have quite a show for you today. We have the usual book roundup, poetry roundup, and art roundup. We also have Matt's usual selection of poetry, a couple of books from Selena, and some really exciting kind of. We've got some poems from the lovely Warsanshire, which is just so exciting. <laughs> like very grateful that she shared those with us. And also, Selena did a gig this week. What gig did you do? This week, I had the great honour and privilege of leaving my house and getting dressed and going to do a gig at um, Rich Mix with the great Patrice Cullors, who's um, one of the founder members of Black Lives Matter, um, executive director, I think, of Black Lives Matter, and just incredible. Um, but I'll tell you more about that a bit later in the show. Okay, so there's all of that stuff to look forward to. Um, so now um, we're going to have some Machos' track. It's very upbeat. It's okay. extremely upbeat. Get ready to dance around your kitchen. Yeah, this is Candy Staten with <laughs> Young Hearts Run Free. What's the sense in sharing this one and only life? Ending up just another lost and lonely wife. You count up the years and they will be filled with tears. Love only breaks up to start over again. You'll get the babies, but you won't have your man. While he's busy loving every woman that he can.
Hello, you're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Roaring Twenties Radio and the 20s is 20S. So now I'm going to give you my roundup from the world of poetry or as some people call it spoken word or in the 1980s performance poetry, but it's all the same thing. So events, tonight we have Warsan Shire is launching her long-awaited debut collection, full-length collection, Bless the Daughter. It's at the Queen Elizabeth Hall rooftop at the Southbank Centre. I don't know if there's any tickets left, I was just getting choked up then because I don't think there are, but you might be lucky, so have a look, <laughs> check it out. Uh, so this Wednesday, uh, the 16th of March, is Jawdance at Rich Mix. Uh, Jiffa Benson, Manira Pilgrim and Lisa Lux are performing. That is a top, woo woo, top, good top line-up. lineup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Friday the 18th, Hit the Ode, that's up in Birmingham at the Hippodrome, with Teresa Lola and John Bernard and Sophia Kinshasa, which... Um, it's another top lineup. Yeah, what's happening to me today. Amazing. Another top lineup in, up in Birmingham. Back down here, Box Park Croydon on Monday, the 21st of March, is BYOB Poetry with Rianne Brooke and Chloe Carter. That's um, a fairly new night, but it seems to be it seems to be all the rage. Like ticket shows are selling out really quickly, and they're getting some amazing lineups at that BYOB Poetry. Uh, so if you can stomach Box Park, you should definitely check it out in Croydon. <laughs> um, <laughs> Also on Monday the 21st of March, I shouldn't really shout out, shout this out, but I will do, a speech bubble at Loughborough SU with me and Esther Koch. I don't usually <laughs> do many gigs nowadays, but I thought I'd shout it out. Oh, well um, done. I'm glad you did. I know, yeah, it's nice that they asked me. Uh, Thursday the 24th of March, Outspoken at the Southbank Centre. Um, we always shout out Outspoken. Yeah, but you've got always to. It's, an amazing It is night. phenomenal, to be yeah. fair. Lisa Lux is, is doing that one as well, um, with Rishi Dastadar and Emily Berry, as well as live music from Zara McFarlane and Khadija Kamara. So yeah, get that. That's the hottest ticket in town, that Outspoken. Um, and then I've got two Northern dates to mention, if you don't mind. Uh, tub, <laughs> <laughs> we launched Tub Thumping a few weeks ago Yay! with Selena Godden. I loved it. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Uh, so it's uh, the brand new night in Leeds at the Constitutional in Farsley. This month, uh, sorry, no, it's not even this month, it's next month. The 14th of April, Vanessa Kasuli and Toria Garbutt. And then at the end of April, the 28th, uh, Chelpin at the Leeds Library with Casey Bailey and Ella Otomiwo. So that's my events roundup. Some good events there, isn't there? Yeah, not bad. In terms of content, I'm just going to run, a, run through a few few things. So as we know, it was International Women's Day this week. Um, this is our International Women's Day special. And if you go to internationalwomensday.com, Amina Rahman has done an amazing poem called Break the Bias, which was this year's theme. And they've encouraged people to respond with their own interpretations as well. So you should check that out on the International Women's Day website. Um, Tamina Ali did a poem called Dear Darling for Apples and Snakes in response to International Women's Day. On the Poetry Exchange podcast, the latest episode, Casey Bailey is speaking about Liz Berry's poem, The Way Home. So they invite a poem, uh, uh, they invite a poet on uh, every episode to discuss a poem that is their friend that they absolutely love. And it's a really nice episode. And uh, Liz Berry's stuff is great as well. On the LA Review of Books, they've done a feature on Ukrainian war poetry. Um, so that's lareviewofbooks.org. It's uh, it's written poetry with background on each poet. Uh, some of it's contemporary, some of it's older, but obviously it's very um, important to read that now and get an insight into that. And uh, finally, it was World Book Day very recently. So if you go to at World Book Day UK on Twitter, there's loads of resources and book tokens and poems and all kinds of things to celebrate World Book Day because books are good, aren't they? They are what we need. They what are. would we be without books? Yeah, where would we be? Indeed. Unemployed. Unemployed. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> I just want to shout out two releases. So first up is Stephen James Smith. Uh, Stephen is an Irish poet originally from Dublin. I who, love his work. He's great, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. fabulous. Yeah. He's very well known in Ireland and he's becoming rapidly well known over in the 
UK. He's releasing his debut album, See No Evil, on the 1st of April. It's actually been co-released with my label, Nymphs and Thugs. Yay! It's seen Stephen collaborate with a composer called Gareth Quinn Richmond. It's available to pre-order now digitally for £10. And Stephen's also doing a tour of the UK and Ireland, so check that out, Stephen James. Can we get a play of that? Yeah, I'm gonna do. I was gonna. I'm gonna do an interview with him and get oh, a full fantastic. of exclusive tracks for the next episode. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Brilliant! 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 And then finally, Peter DeGraft Johnson, aka the Repeat Beat Poet. Woo! His debut pamphlet uh, came out on the Poetry Press a few weeks back. It's called A Testament to Life and Death, and I believe we might actually be hearing from the Repeat Beat Poet in a short while. In a short while. In do short not touch while. that dial. Yeah. We're going to hear from him in a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we've got a track from the lovely Sophie. This is Oil of Every Pearl's Unsides. <laughs>
Okay, so I have contacted a couple of uh, my favourite poets to send us in a recording this month for this month's episode, and we always love it when people send us stuff directly. So I have a couple of recordings from Leanne Brown and also from Simone Yasmin. So you're going to hear these. Uh, Leanne is originally from North Ayrshire, currently based in Harrogate, and Simone Yasmin is from Leeds, and I love them both, and I love these poems as well. Hello, Roaring Twenties Radio. Um, this is a poem that was written in the wake of Sarah Everard's murder last year. Um through conversations I had with with the women I work with Um, and we all realised that we had lots of these tales that add up to near misses and just generally being exhausted with the business of being a woman. Um, This poem's called Misogyny is Not a Hate Crime. To the midnight lurker who traversed traffic twice to tail me, forcing me to spend money I didn't have on chips I didn't want, just to hide in brighter light. And to the landlord, who liked letting himself in unplanned on lazy lie-in mornings, just to flex. To the lawyer I served in a buzzing bar who brandished his cigar at me, proclaiming I'd be perfect for porno. And to his fawning friends, whose burst of braying laughter I hear still. To the boyfriend who said, if I didn't remember why strange places were aching upon waking wasn't his job to remind me and to him again for remonstrating that I shouldn't have got so drunk on drinks he demanded I down to the officers who leered lasciviously at my teenage cleavage while taking a statement and to the taxi drivers asking so do you live in your own love as they clunk the central lock and closed at speed to the manager always obstructing exits, forcing choice of brushing by with bum or boobs. And to bosses who blurt blatantly that blokes are better, as them breeding won't risk business blips. To the phone party freak forcing furtive fingers into unseen underwear. And to the creep dumped decades ago, who slithers sinisterly into every DM, from Friends United to LinkedIn, just to remind me that you can find me to every single person who has ever sent an unsolicited dick pic I know it's hashtag not all men but you are all men Hello, Roaring Twenties Radio. It's Simone Yasmin here. I am a black spoken word artist and writer based in Leeds, born and bred. Um, The poem I'm going to do today is called Intersectional Feminism. It's a poem that is my favourite poem, actually, and I try to perform it everywhere that I go. So I really hope you enjoy it and I really hope that you take something away from it. That's the most important thing um, for this poem, I think. Stop. Don't tell me that again because I... I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me your feminism is intersectional when you use the double broken backs of black women to elevate yourself. Don't tell me your feminism is intersectional when the only time you support black women and black girls is when you see our faces plastered across the campaigns of Oxfam and comic relief. When you want to be the white saviour, receive the praise and feel comfortable helping them. Knowing exactly that. It is us and them and they will never be close enough to have any real impact. 
to ever shake hierarchies and to alter your position. You'll gladly help those crying, starving faces plastered across your screens, gladly dig deep into your pockets, but you won't help the women here, in your country, and in your city. Tell me why you'll only help the children of Africa, but not the grandchildren of Africa, relocated and replenished in the Western world. Tell me why. She looks at me, silent. Not knowing how to respond and not knowing when I am calm enough to respond, but oh, I am calm. Because this is not new and this is not a topic only concerning you. This stems from the collective. Black women have been the stools, our backs have been the stepping stones for generations. For decades. And I have spent hours searching, researching this topic and now I'm hoping that you'll understand your actions. So allow me to fill the silence. You fear elevating the black women. The strong black women of your society. You fear us being on your level because you need our backs to rise. You need the stepping stones of oppression, discrimination and marginalisation to reach your glass ceilings and to remain on top. So don't tell me your feminism is intersectional. Because you hashtag bring back our girls and reposted shocking stories about the women raped in the Sudan blackouts. Don't tell me your feminism is intersectional because you bought a red nose to raise money for comic relief and donate monthly to Oxfam knowing your five pounds could provide a starving child in Africa with a hot meal. Tell me how you won't speak out for the black women facing racist, sexist remarks at the office. How you won't comment when the black mothers are the only ones labelled bad mothers. And when the black fathers are the only ones branded absent fathers. Tell me how you remain silent when your daughter calls those black dolls on the shelf ugly. And tell me how you scream black men are violent and threatening, but you're still curious and lustful of their exotic and erotic joking. Once you go black, you never go back. Racial contradictions, dismissals and omissions. So don't tell me your feminism is intersectional until it is. Thank you very much and happy International Women's Month to you all and I hope that poem made you feel. Bye.
20s Radio. I'm Amber Rose. I'm here with Selena Godden, Matt Abbott, Violet Malice, and we've just been joined by the repeat beat poet. But he's standing outside the studio right now. But we've been very lucky this episode. I mean, every time someone shares their work with us, I think we're lucky. But um, we've got some wonderful kind of um, excerpts from the new audio book from Warsanshire or Warsanshire. I'm not too sure. Um, of the correct pronunciation, so sorry, Orsan, if I've got that wrong. Um, but um, her book launches this evening at the Woman of the World Festival, um, and there are some tickets for that in London if you um, want last minute to head on down to that. But basically, um, out on Fliptide Publishing is also a limited edition of um, of the book Bless the Daughter Raised by a Voice in Her Head and um, it's kind of it's an art piece there's only, I think only 200 editions of this book um, being made and it's got it's, it's got a detachable afro comb on the cover and um, it's printed on uncoated paper from renewable sources it's released on the 24th of um, February um, it was and it's it's a quiet homage to the 23rd anniversary of Lauren Hill's um, miseducation of Lauren Hill and so um, uh, basically the book launches today but there's also this limited edition signed edition if you can seek one out but um so we've got a selection of poems 
from her and um, I'm just going to play them for you now. Um, she introduces each one. Thank you. Assimilation. We never unpacked dreaming in the wrong language, carrying our mother's fears in our feet. If he raises his voice, we will flee. If he looks bored, we will pack our bags. Unable to excise the refugee from our hearts, unable to sleep through the night. The refugee's heart has six chambers. In the first is your mother's unpacked suitcase. In the second, your father cries into his hands. The third room is an immigration office. Your severed legs in the fourth. In the fifth, a uterus. Yours? The sixth opens with the right papers. I can't get the refugee out of my body. I bolt my body whenever I get the chance. How many pills does it take to fall asleep? How many to meet the dead? The refugee's heart often grows an outer layer, an assimilation. It cocoons the organ. Those unable to grow the extra skin die within the first six months in a host country. At each and every checkpoint, the refugee is asked, are you human? The refugee is sure it's still human, but worries that overnight, while it slept, there may have been a change in classification. My loneliness is killing me. He smokes until he sees something moving in the smoke, remembers joy like blindness, swimming at Jazeera Beach, gorging on belonging, Barwako, Iftin. He remembers riding through Suq Bakara on a motorbike, held onto by women with hair trailing behind them like black smoke. It's raining in London again. Hassan Adhan Samatar sings from a small, sullen cassette player in the corner of the room. Tonight, no one knows you. Be stronger than your loneliness, uncle. Steam rises from qahwa, bitter with tears. Carefully rolling tobacco the same color as his hands. He sings along. Alone this time. Alone every time. Home. One. No one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. 
the boy you went to school with who kissed you dizzy behind the old tin factory is holding a gun bigger than his body. You only leave home when home won't let you stay. No one would leave home unless home chased you. It's not something you ever thought about doing, so when you did, you carried the anthem under your breath, waiting until the airport toilet to tear up the passport and swallow. Each mournful mouthful making it clear you would not be going back. No one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. No one would choose days and nights in the stomach of a truck unless the miles travelled meant something more than journey. No one would choose to crawl under fences, beaten until your shadow leaves, raped, forced off the boat because you are darker, drowned, sold, starved, shot at the border like a sick animal, pitied. No one would choose to make a refugee camp home for a year or two or ten, stripped and searched, finding prison everywhere. And if you were to survive, greeted on the other side, go home blacks, dirty refugees, sucking our country dry of milk, dark with their hands out, smell strange, savage, look what they've done to their own countries. What will they do to ours? The insults are easier to swallow than finding your child's body in the rubble. I want to go home, but home is the mouth of a shark. Home is the barrel of a gun. No one would leave home unless home chased you to the shore. No one would leave home until home is a voice in your ears saying, Leave. Run. Now. I don't know what I've become. Two. I don't know where I'm going. Where I came from is disappearing. I am unwelcome. My beauty is not beauty here. My body is burning with the shame of not belonging. My body is longing. I am the sin of memory and the absence of memory. I watch the news and my mouth becomes a sink full of blood. The lines, forms, people at the desks, calling cards, immigration officers, the looks on the street, the cold settling deep into my bones, the English classes at night, the distance I am from home. Alhamdulillah, all of this is better than the scent of a woman completely on fire. A truckload of men who look like my father, pulling out my teeth and nails. All these men between my legs, a gun, a promise, a lie, his name, his flag, his language, his manhood, in my mouth. Yeah. 
tuned in to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. That was some Joni Mitchell. And before we played that, we some absolutely stunning poetry from Warsonshire. Oh my goodness. How is your heart? How is everyone? I think this is a question we have to ask each other. How is your heart? I hope you're okay out there. Um, It's been a tough old time, um, but it's a sunny Saturday and we've got some amazing poetry and books and art and culture and activism to share with you. Here in the studio today, I'm Selena Godden. I'm here with my friends, Emma Rose. Hello. And Matt Abbott. Hello. And special guest, Violet Malice. Hello. And while we were playing that amazing music and poetry, repeat, Beat Poet is in the house. Welcome to the studio. Before I let you speak, let me just give a little uh, a little bit of a reading. So, repeat, beat poet, your debut pan for the paper. Sorry about that. reverse, reverse. <laughs> your debut pamphlet contains poems written for their utility, their intensity, their tenderness of spirit. For Peter, your real name, Peter, these poems function as blessings, memorials, prophecies, and a survivor's guide for soldiering through modern life while being black in Britain. A writer as comfortable in the cadence of preachers as easily as the flows of rappers. Peter engages his poetry to celebrate life, chronicle suffering and point towards paths of survival and freedom. I absolutely loved your your, your debut collection. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Thank I'm you. very happy to have you in the show. How's it been launching your your first book? How have you been dealing with, uh, with it all? How has it been feeling? Um... It's been a lot. I'm feeling like three kind of main things. It's like relief that it's out there and it's now like living its own life. Um, I feel very like super, super proud, obviously. I'm so proud that I've managed to not only like 
keep going because sometimes the real victory is just like just turning up every day and just like committing to having an idea and doing that so i'm very proud of myself to be able to like commit to these poems and put it out and then thirdly so yeah relief pride and then like gratitude do you know what i mean i'm super grateful to everyone who's supported me up and until this moment i'm grateful to you selena for the quote on the back of the book thank you <laughs> um and you know yeah like, I'm, I'm grateful for, for for the people who have yeah who have loved me up and yeah up to and through this moment yeah th them's my feelings and i'm happy to be on the radio as well i love roaring 20s i'm a genuine fan i listen in most weeks listen all listen back as well on my walks oh that's good to know that's good to know well some of our listeners might know i mean i'm a huge fan of you and all your work and follow all you're doing too i love your podcasts and all the work that you're up to would you give our listeners a little a little taste of some of the poetry in the new pamphlet Absolutely. Let's uh, jump in with a piece that's kind of been known as my calling card. Um, definitely a piece which is, um, uh, I love to read it in any new situation to anybody. It's a kind of piece which is useful whenever, wherever, for whoever, however you're listening. So yeah, this is called For the Poets. And yeah, my name is Peter DeGraft Johnson, the full government name, also known as the Repeat Beat Poet. This is for the poets, for those fleeting moment capturers who enrapture us, for the rhyme flingers and the word slingers, for pens and microphones gripped between fingers, for the barrier breakers who showed anyone and everyone that it can be done. This is for the public communicators of private struggles, for the lives reborn from rubble, for poets writing their way out of trouble, for every poem written that aids a resurrection or sparks an insurrection, every poet that challenges convention, for every witty epithet doubling as reactionary couplets, and for the poets surprised by what it is they've created, and for the poets who make this look uncomplicated. For every journal kept hidden, for every instrumental or internal beat ridden, for every writer reaching for knowledge forgotten or forbidden, on every stage and page and radio booth, graced with a verse that did not want but needed to be written. You see, I've written this for every seasoned sage, every first timer, faced with whatever it means to call yourself a writer. For every fabled poet spinning fables, every identity shunning easy labels, every poem and every language under Babel. For the poets who are right with us from graveyard to cradle, and for the poems that keep us stable. For the poets everywhere and the poetry that got them there, this is always for the poets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
to Roaring Twenties Radio. I'm Emma Rose. I'm here with Matt Appert, Selena Godden, Repeat Beat Poet and Violet Malice. And um, that was Audiobooks, and that was a track called Hot Salt. I love audiobooks. It's, uh, yeah, definitely some fun, weird, indie stuff. And um, before that, you heard Softly by Arlo Parks. Um, I'm going to do my art roundup now for this month. Um, in... Um, with keeping in mind International Women's Day, I wanted to name check some great shows that feature women. One really interesting show, which I haven't yet seen, but I want to, I'm really keen to, is um, Surrealism Beyond Borders at Tate Modern, because that there's been recent years, there's been a kind of unveiling of female surrealists, basically. It's like it was always, I mean, we heard about Dali, and we heard about, um, and then, but we didn't really hear about all the women, the many, many, many women, a bit like modernism, um, that were involved in this movement. And this uh, show celebrates that. So we've got thick, we've got pieces in there from the legendary Leonora, Leonora Carrington, who has provided inspiration for this year's Venice Biennale show, and we also have. Um, Thing, uh, work by Helen Lundeberg and others and it's just kind of bringing together an alternative view of surrealism um, beyond Dali and his moustache I so, really, really want to go to this. Will you take me? Well, I will take you. We can have a gallery day. I, want, I really, really want to go to this. I really love Leonora Carrington. Um, do you know that she used to write backwards um, in the mirror um, so that people couldn't read her writing? Oh. I kind of love that. The other person who used to do that is Leonardo da Vinci. Um, yeah, writing, Very clever people. Writing backwards, you can only read it in the mirror. And then um, other other than that, we've got like a show which has been, it's five, five stars, five stars across the board, has been um, Louise Bourgeois, uh, The Woven Child at the Haywood Gallery. And this, everybody has just hands down said it's one of the best Louise Bourgeois, Bourgeois shows and the best shows that they've seen. And it kind of, it looks at the last two decades of her career. Obviously, she led, she lived a long time. And she was radical from the beginning up until the end. I mean, she really went against the grain hard this woman and um rejected norms rejected social norms and rejected um what people said a woman should be and then also rejected other women i mean she she was just an angry ranting person but in the kind of most authentic way and um, I saw a show of hers in Zurich, actually, no, oh, actually it was Basel. I saw a show of hers in Basel this month, which is also really, really interesting. But this one in London um, is like sculpture, huge, the works you might know her for, like the giant spider, textiles works, needlepoint, tapestry, watercolour, works on paper. And it's just uh, a must see. And from, um, I don't know if she'd call herself a feminist, if she would um, bow to labels. I don't have not. I don't know about that about her practice, and I apologise for that. But um, basically, it's like she uh, International Women's Day. She would be a good visit. And this one, which is free because it's at a commercial gallery um, in Mayfair called David Sverner, um, is also by a real trailblazing woman called Hilma Afklint. This Swedish artist um, has. Um, 
basically she had a she was kind of unveiled or reveiled or uh, rediscovered a few years ago um, after a big show at the Moderna Musique in in Stockholm, and then obviously everybody kind of rediscovered it because she does abstract work and work that speaks to some kind of spirituality. But aesthetically, it kind of predates what you think it should be. It's very kind of geometric, and it's all to do with kind of the subconscious. Very very beautiful, very cool works, and very very much ahead of their time it's tree of knowledge it's a rare set of, of her works um spanning 1913 to 1915 and um i say it's really really worth a visit and she's an amazing female artist who was you know discovered after her time kind of internationally and um that is a free show in mayfair at david's verna so i really really highly recommend popping in to see that if you are in London and if you are in town. Um, we're going to keep it brief this time uh, for the Art Roundup and um, just go straight into another track. We've got so many great guests on the show and I don't want to take any airtime from them. But so basically this is a song and I don't know if any of you have been watching Euphoria. I watched it. I really enjoyed it. I've got really mixed feelings about Euphoria. <laughs> I've got a lot of feelings, actually, about Euphoria. I I like the way they deal with issues of sexuality and gender. I and, think it's the first yeah. time I've seen myself on TV. Rue is such a little mini Selena. It's like, that's like literally like seeing little mini young me running around. And I just want to reach through the TV screen, hug her and tell her, just get past this teenage bit and you'll be fine. Yeah, or oh, lots of love for Rue, and there's lots of love for Rue in this song. This is Elliot's song by Dominic Fike or Feek, I'm not sure which, and Zendaya. I've got no place building you a rocket up to outer space. I watch you fade, keeping the lights on in this forsaken place. Little star Feels like you fell right on my head Gave you away to the wind I hope it was worth it in the end Us against the world Just a couple sinners making fun of hell if I keep you here, I'll only be doing it for myself Little star, feels like you fell right on my head Gave you way to the wind, I hope it was worth it in the end I know this thing is broken So I leave my door wide open And sometimes since we've spoken I hope it was worth 
with it in the end You and my guitar I think you may be my only friend I gave it all to see you shine again I hope it was worth it in the end I hope it was worth it in the end
that track. Oh, I'm such a sucker for that drum and bass. I'm like, wow, dancing around the studio. Oh, thank you, Bjork. Bjork. Oh, catch my breath. You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio. <laughs> Just had a bit of a boogie round the studio to Bjork. This is Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. I'm Selena Gordon. I'm here in the studio with Hammerow and Matt Abbott. The repeat beat poet. Violet Malice. We are a lovely little crew of people and we're going to have a little chat now about books and poetry and all the good things. So, how are you all? Living, thriving, surviving, just about getting by. I'm alright, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We were chatting uh, earlier today uh, on on the old WhatsApp group chat. Um, We were wondering what what we wanted to talk to you about. And we were talking about how you both have pseudonyms or alter egos. And we wondered where that came from. Why did you decide to adopt another name, not use your own name? I mean, mine was quite recently. And it was simply because all the um, URLs have been taken with my name. <laughs> so that I think there's like, you know, like an author with my original name and, you know, a charity and then loads of other stuff as well. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to make one up then. And then also I think it probably works quite well for me to have that separation. So, you know, she was only launched, you know, like maybe a month ago. But, you know, I think it... It's quite nice to me to be like separate from, you know, my real life person. But it's a good choice, I think, for your work and what you're saying. Violet Malice. Yeah. I mean, it pretty much is saying what it is on the tin right there. Yeah, I like it. I sweated over it for a bit, but it was one of those where like Malice is actually a proper real surname. And obviously Violet is such a, an amazing like female name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it just like... I think I came up with Malice because someone had the surname Malice and then it was sort of searching for the first name and then it was just like someone said Violet and I was like, that's it. That's the name. (laughs) I really like it. And repeat beat poet, where did that start? Um, So when I was like, so so I was growing up in in the church, like in in, in evangelical church playing music in the band all the time. And when I was 18, I was kind of thinking... I want to move away from playing other people's music and music for different purposes and just deciding what I wanted to say. And so I was really into beat poetry at the time, your classic Dan De Prima and Kerouac and Ginsberg and Burroughs and that kind of weird, mad world. And the stream of consciousness of that really attracted me. So in between my own musical inspirations, I was into a lot of like indie, a lot of hip hop, um, a lot of like soul music. I went, okay, so a DJ gets a break beat and we'll like cut it up and we'll take it out of a context and we'll repeat it. They'll extend that break beat. And similarly, a beat poet will have like a thought or an idea or a moment and then we'll write into that as a, as a mode of like stream of consciousness writing. So I thought extending the beat, extending the thought, repeat beat. And then it had like a feel to it. It yeah. almost sounds like a rhythmic name, repeat beat poet. And so I had the name before I had any of the poetry that was like connected to it. And then I just wrote into the name and similar, similarly to Violet Malice. Mm. Similarly to that, I had to like, I had to have a personality where I could get out some of those thoughts. And it was good to have a separation because then I was like the stuff, which is a bit more personal to me, a bit more intimate. I could have separately. And then I could have the, like the more braggadocious, arrogant freestyle rapper 
I can have both sides. And now that I've released a book, it's the first time that both sides of those writings are together. Mm -hmm. The repeat beat poet stuff and the Peter DeGraff Johnson stuff. And now it's quite a thing. I mean, throughout the 90s, I was always Selena Saliva. And I don't know where it came from. Um, I suppose in a little way, so I put this to you, I think I did it a little bit to hide a little bit to to kind of so that the stage person, um, and, and I still do it to this day, the stage person is this sort of brassy, blonde, extrovert character, which is kind of a camouflage for the introvert that actually does all the work and all the feeling and all the hurting and all the writing and all the and goes through the actual emotions but then creating another character to go on stage that selena saliva was like bold and boozy whereas like the introvert was like at home you know sort of doing all the writing and that was selena godden um is there a similar experience with with both of you with with that with your names i i definitely think with mine yeah because i am i think i am an introvert actually which it's the direct opposite of what I am on stage. Yeah. Um, and it, it does feel good, actually, to have, like, a, a flag that, you know, allows me that room as my own person to sort of step back and have that distinction between the two. Selena Saliva is amazing. <laughs> my full name was Selena Saliva, Gloopy Godiva, God bless, goddamn Godden. <laughs> I, that was going to be my full stage name, but obviously the only bit that stuck was Selena Saliva. Where did that come from? It, well, Selena Saliva, Gloopy Godiva, it was just, I think they, I wanted, I had this vision in my head of being a superstar one day and that they would use up all the letters, you know, when they used to put letters up when you were doing a gig um, and I wanted them to run out of letters. Um, Saliva Gloopy was a character of a short story that I never published um, and Saliva Gloopy, there was also a poem called Saliva Gloopy and actually some people that know me from way back then actually don't call me Selena Saliva, they just call me Miss Gloopy or Gloopy so Gloopy was a name that stuck for a while it took me ages to shake that off I can't believe I've just said it on radio, people are going to start remembering to call me that again It exists now in the world It does exist, <laughs> it does exist I mean I release records under that name and everything the stuff with uh, Cold Cut and yeah, Ninja, the Ninja Tunes stuff. is Selena Saliva yeah. I used to love your Selena Saliva records like I found oh, them thank you. recently, maybe like four years ago, and I, I almost like put two and two together, being like, "Oh my, this is what Selena was doing then," and yeah. it still sounds so fresh as well. Like, um, but no, yeah, about like about like having a vessel to almost like pour your writing into. Mm -hmm. It definitely helped me being. It definitely helped me separate kind of what I was doing for the outside world and the more performative side versus what I was doing in a more like investigative or almost like the stuff I was discovering for myself, writing for myself before thinking about anybody else, because like, I am an introvert and it's baffling to say, because I spend so much time on stage performing or outside in the world publicly like that, that for about five years, when I was just the repeat beat poet, I almost forgot what I wanted to write about and what, what was me beyond and behind the performances. And so it definitely helped me in the overall to have a performance name and a persona. But the persona, as you said, is like a reflection of, of, of yourself, of me. And now I'm just doing the work of trying to like zip that gap up, yeah. you know, like yeah. bring those things closer together. And I think that's like a lifelong work. That's like the poets who most inspire me, the people who can marry that gap between the public and the performative and then the personal and the more like i don't know uh ruminate like the stuff you ruminate on the yeah. chin strokey stuff yeah basically. the digging around in your soul stuff but yeah. how does that work actually in the practice of writing so how do you knit that together with the actual poem so if you have 
two separate voices almost as an artist how do you want to bring them together or do you just think I'll just let them kind of live out their separate lives and in and like kind of keep any decision to do with that kind of creative process kind of private I think sometimes tell me which side they're leaning towards but, uh, but I think it's like a spectrum you know so if I'm doing like a half hour gig some pieces might be more towards this side or that side but I know that there are definitely are two sides um and then you know in the book it was a time where I could get out lots more introspective writing and so the book's probably more Peter DeGraff Johnson than it is the repeat beat poet but online my music is all you know released under the name repeat beat poet um, and then some of that is more hip-hoppy some of that is more spoken delivery I suppose if there was a crude way to say it, it was like how much of the delivery is spoken and how much of it is rhythmically rapped or melodically sung but that's just me personally and that's a very crude way of doing it how about you I think I think I don't think I think all of my stuff is Violet Malice currently I don't think that there's I don't think I've found a voice for the stuff that I don't want to be on stage maybe I need to go there there's something, isn't it, within the poetry world that I think some people might not be aware of, isn't there, where there's this kind of big difference in the way some people think about, talk about poetry, that's poetry of the page and poetry of the mouth or... On stage. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like this kind of... So it's a differentiation. The and false dichotomy. They're the same. Playwrights are yeah, like... Yeah, they are the There's same. no difference between page and stage. Yeah, as if, if that's just like an elitist way of snobbery because basically if you're working class or black or in any other way, a minority publishing is closed or at least more difficult to get into so you end up doing more performing and more things on stage as a way to share your poetry um, because things like making podcasts and doing gigs is more accessible than being able to get your own book published I am living evidence of that I didn't get my first book published till I was 40 and so spent the, my 20s and my 30s just putting out records and making little radio shows and things because that's the only way that I could get my work out there um, because you know the publishing was no way gonna let you know rapscallion like me through you know with the, with all my rude swear words and now they're throwing awards at you <laughs> <laughs> oh how i am <laughs> deal central deal central just deal after deal <laughs> now we're just making it rain <laughs> <laughs> which is what it should have been the entire time and this is the point the publishing industry are playing themselves like they're missing out on so many fantastic writers people who are marginalized who have voices which are othered which wouldn't otherwise be uh they wouldn't be what well, basically they're being actively suppressed by default because of the way the economy is but if you give these people the opportunity you will understand that there is a market and, and the work is great and you should invest in these people but i think what people it's a bit like what happened with advertising in the 60s and people are realizing for every person or product as i guess you are as being when you're being published there is an audience there are other people like them who are attracted to that and who will relate to it and they want those books so just even from a commercial perspective it just doesn't make any sense mm. but i but i'm really you know such a big fan of the art of the thing like stepping away from talking about publishing i'm really interested in the art of the thing i'm interested in, in where people are coming from and that's what i really love about your videos and what the work you're making violet and and you as well repeat beat poet like the way you're just making it like you would what I'm trying to say is you'd be making this even if no one was looking. Like it's obviously coming from a place of really a really of real intention and um and soul and communication and connection. Um and with that in mind, I'm wondering, uh, would you give us another poem? 
Of course. Will you smash the mic for us again, please? <laughs> this one's entitled There are no chairs in my flat. Not because I don't need to sit down anymore, but because they've all been broken during sex or sex-related accidents. This includes the time when both my deck chairs got smashed during a rigorous solo session on the ladies' climbing frame and the time when a gentleman dressed like Fat Elvis snapped my wing back off whilst pouring gravy into a funnel that had been placed up my arse. You're getting close, I remember saying to him. Seriously, don't stop. I'm running out of gravy, though, he said. At which point, he badly misjudged the weight and balance ratio and tore the left-hand side off what was a perfectly good chair. Um, now we're going to have a track called Limbs by Keely Forsyth. <laughs> It's a very serious track.
Uh, hello, welcome to Roaring Twenties Radio. I'm Selena Godden and it's time for my book roundup. Oh my goodness, so there's so many books and so much, but I don't want to do that thing where I speed shout out all the books that women have ever written because come on, you know, you've all got Google and you all know, you know how to do that. If you do want to check out some of the books that we've um, plugged or uh, featured on this show, then you can go to bookshop.org. Is that the right? Is it bookshop. I think it's uk.bookshop.org. Yeah. yeah. And and there I've kept a really lovely list of every poet and every author and every book that we ever feature, feature on this show. But I am going to tell you some of my personal faves or some books that I've been reading since I last spoke to you and since I last did this show. So, favourite, favourite, beautiful, amazing poet, debut poetry book just come out, the great Annie now, Annie Brick and me go way back. I know her from the 90s. So it's so amazing that only now is her debut book. It's it's fascinating. It's called The Mouth of Eulalie, and it's being published by the Scottish Press, uh, Blue Diode, Blue Diode, Diode, let's, let's say it right, Blue Diode Press, which are based in Edinburgh. I found this book um, profoundly mesmerising. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Elizabeth Smart. Elizabeth Smart um, by Grand Central Station. I wept. It's got that kind of uh, incredible raw beauty, um, and that's one a book that I visit at least once a year. And I think this is a book that I will keep rereading. It's it's so. Um, so, yeah, it's just something else. I've not read anything like it. So look out for that. That's on its way. That's Annie Brecken, and hopefully we can have her in as a guest. Um, recently, I got to be on Stress Test, which is um, a show where you have to write write poems um, while they play like live on air, live here on Soho Radio. And I got to hang out with my dear old friend John Osborne. So here's a shout out for John. He's got a new book out now. It's on Broken Sleep Books. His new collection is called My Car Plays Tapes. And it's just beautiful. John's got such a fantastic way with words and such a great poet. Also, a great friend of mine, Nikesh Shukla, the hero, the legend, the man that brought you the good immigrant and so much more. He has a new book out this month and it's called Your Story Matters. And it's an absolutely fantastic guide. Like if you're a young writer or a young poet and you're like, where do I start? How do I do this? Um, Nikesh says um, stories can be powerful tools for our aspirations stories that reflect the society we want to be in that show the multitudinous and multiculturalism of the UK make us citizens of everywhere and that's why to me story matters your story matters is an indispensable and inclusive guide not only to the how of writing but also the why Nikesh Shukla author writing mentor and best-selling editor of The Good Immigrant knows better than most the power that every Every unique voice has to affect change so look out for that it's it's got a black cover and a beautiful kind of round thing and um and and it's oh it's just fantastic i was just flicking through that hopefully we can have nikesh on as a live guest one of these days i would really love that um claire pollard beautiful poet claire pollard has her debut novel out i'm just checking out i haven't started reading it yet but it's called delphi and um it is a triumph of sly observation wit and tragedy short fierce funny and deeply moving it's a novel about now of a woman and her family navigating the shifting landscape of the recent past. Hopefully we can get uh, Claire Pollard in. Another shout out for Sabrina Mafuz. hopefully to have her in as a guest. If you're hearing this, we're looking for you, Sabrina. Come into our show, will you? Her amazing book, These Bodies of Water, is on its way too. Um, and now for my main thing I want to tell you about. I want to tell you about 
my amazing thing that happened this week. So this week I got to meet Patrice Cullors. Um, it was just, you know, they say don't meet your heroes and all of that. Well, I met her and I just think she's amazing. It's so refreshing to me to meet someone with so much power and knowledge and, and earth and and also for them to be bringing this message of hope and change and love. I often get, I often get worried that I'm too... I'm too much of an idealist and that I go on about hope and love all the bloody time. Hope, hope, hope. Nah, nah, nah. But when you go and listen to someone that's done this much reading and this much work and they also are talking about hope and change and possibilities and having visions and visualising a better future and how here are some ideas and here are some solutions and here are some conversations. And I just found it, honestly, it was the tonic I needed. It was medicine. Um... I'm, I'm lucky enough to have been asked to read a few poems at a private event that uh, Patrice did at Rich Mix in East London. Um, so I'm going to play um, a little clip of her speaking. She's going to be, she's talking about, sorry, I should go back a bit more. She's talking about an abolitionist handbook where Colours charts a framework for how everyday activists can effectively fight for an abolitionist present and future. It's filled with relatable history um Relatable stories on the history of abolition, a reimagining of what reparations look like for black lives, and real life anecdotes from Colours. Um, it's published by Onit, who are phenomenal publishers publishing black and brown writers and stories. Um, the storytelling lifestyle brand Onit um, have published this. Um, Crystal Mayhe Morgan has said that Patrice is without doubt one of the most important thinkers and voices of our time. Through her art and activism, she has consistently changed the conversation around race, equality and mental health and helped create a more empathetic world and never been afraid to ask the difficult questions. So Patrice Cullors is the New York Times best-selling author, educator, artist, abolitionist, co-founder and former executive director of the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't know what else to say. She blew, she blew me away. She took my breath away. I've got a tiny clip of um, her reading and talking um, when she was here this week on her London tour for the Abolish, Abolitionist Handbook. <laughs> and also, um, I'm also going to play the poem that I read that night, which was called Wild Justice Waits, which was written the week, uh, or was written June 2020, during the big Black Lives Matter um, riots that were happening. Um, and the music is by Anna Phoebe. Um, so first we're going to hear Patrice and then a poem that I wrote to honour um, Patrice and the Black Lives Matter movement. So sit back and here we go. Yes, like our work is truly about love. Our work is about how we love each other, how we show up in love for each other. And I believe abolition is an extension of that love. I think when we call for abolition, when I call for abolition, I'm calling for abolition because I love us so much. We deserve so much more than the system that exists right now. We deserve so much more than the system that exists right now. Come on, and abolition is the vision of a new system, a new system that is embedded in care and love and generosity. So beautifully said, and reimagining is such a theme inside the book, and I feel like you've spoken to that just now. Um, I want to talk about getting free, right? And we talk about getting free, it's beautiful, right? <laughs> Curating. We'll get that for you afterwards, don't worry. <laughs> um, you speak about getting free, 
and a lot of us have a concept of freedom and what it is and what it means to us and sometimes that's shaped by some of the systems that already exist like you said but talk to me about the concept of freedom and getting free and what that means and what that looks like yeah I mean um, I'll start with thinking about what does it mean to not be free um, which is the current system that we live in uh, the system of unfreedom, a system that is reliant on our caging of human beings, a system that's reliant on domination and control, um, that often leads to not just harm, but death of many of our community members and our loved ones. That's the system that we live in, a system that does not give us access to being able to live our full lives, especially as black people, a system that doesn't give us access to be joyful. Um, that's the unfreedom that we live in. And so if we're talking about freedom um, and how abolition gives us access to that freedom, abolition is calling for the discontinuation of caging human beings, the discontinuation of dominating human beings, human beings having access to Things that are, quote, basic necessities, but shelter, healthy food, adequate public education, joy, joy and beauty, those are things that help us be more free. And I also believe, you know, especially in this era of sort of a self-care movement, which, which I really love that we're talking about care, but I wanna challenge the way that we often talk about self-care, which is, comes from a very individualistic place. I don't believe that we can be free individually without collective freedom. And so when I'm talking about freedom, I'm talking about the collective as well as the individual. We are intrinsically tied to one another, right? There's a conversation that many of us have had for years and years. If there's a certain population of the, if there's a certain population that is not free, then none of us are free. And so we have to challenge that idea of how we understand freedom. Well, I love my job. <laughs> I love it. Can we have a round of applause? I think what you said, there's such a simplicity in what you said and what you presented. Why do you think we're so resistant to it, right? It's just, it, to me, it seems so easy. What is the resistance in us? You know, the resistance is being wedded to a system that we have all been subscribed to since the minute we were born. We are subscribed to a white supremacist system, a patriarchal system, a homophobic, ableist, transphobic system. Thank you. And it's hard to undo what we've been taught. It is hard, and I don't, I don't judge people for that because that's why it's called an abolitionist journey. Because the journey that we're on to unlearning the ways in which we've been taught to not be free you have to unlearn those things and reimagine, relearn those things. So that's that's one part of it. That's very philosophical, but I also want to get really concrete. The other part of the resistance is because police benefit from the system of non-abolition. They benefit from a punishment-based system. Your system inside the inside the UK and our system and the United States and the system inside of Canada and the system inside the West really benefits from caging human beings. It benefits from killing human beings. It benefits from being a domineering system. And so that's also a part of it, you know, and on a state side, our police unions are incredibly well-funded. 
So in 2020, at the height of the uprisings, right, 20 million people around the world, the largest protest movement we've ever seen in the history of the world, people were yelling, defund the police. The police aren't gonna go out like that. I'm a, I, they're good organizers, I'm a good organizer. I'm not gonna go out like that. So they saw and they're like, oh shoot, we gotta spin this. We gotta recreate a new narrative. We are important, everybody, don't forget. The police are important, they're necessary. So part of their PR machine was to remind people that they're necessary. That's just a part of their job. Our job is to not believe it. Our job is to remember something different. That 20 million people showed up to say, we wanna see something different in our world. We understand, and so many of y'all who are in the front row understand, that the police have only been harmful to our communities. That they haven't been a social service that have benefited our communities. And this is not a diss to individual police officers. I have cops in my family. I was just kicking it with my cousin, who's a parole officer, and we had a whole long conversation about why I believe in abolition, and honestly, why she does too. She doesn't want to do the job that she was doing. She wished she could do another job. So the other offering that abolition gives is an offering around what else people can be doing with their lives. Who wants to be a jailer? Who wants to be a plantation owner? Who wants to be a cop beating up kids on the street? That's not a virtuous position. And so we have to challenge that. We have to challenge that idea. And so, you know, I try to come at this with a lot of compassion because I understand, you know, people are, 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 are trying to live their lives. And I'm also trying to remind people, guess what? You could do something different. You, you could be a different human being if we were in an abolitionist system. That is reimagining the in its purest form. There they go again, filling your mouth with their name. There they go again, adding more weight to your burden. There they go again, giving you all the anxiety, whilst telling you not to panic, when the panic is rooted in centuries of there they go again. There they go again, contradicting their own rules, or double speak, double standards. There they go again, your dead are statistics, your ghosts live in hashtags. There they go again, getting away with murder, but calling it anything else. There they go again, doing nothing. As you're vulnerable and sick and the dying need all your love and care and your living need all of your focus, energy and time. There they go again, filling your plate with their jobs and the work they should do as your elected leaders. There they go again, dominating your thoughts so no work can get done. There they go again, grimacing on the front page, hogging the limelight with this theatre of performative cruelty. There they go again, suffocating light and hope 
like a pillow held fast over the face of the kicking and struggling truth. There they go again, consuming all the oxygen and rewriting history. There they go again, like it's all about them. But it is because of them, and it is in spite of them. There they go again, obscuring the facts, blurring the edges, blinkering the horse, filtering the picture. There they go again. There they go again. There they go again. in the night, wailing and mourning and hurting, they are marching on your tongue, they are renting your insomnia, there they go again, using your anguish as garnish, using your defence as attack, using your fear to divide you, using your rage to pass draconian laws, using your pain to sell shit back to you, using your grief to decorate newspapers, using your anger to kill you. Because there they go again, casting an ass in the lead role, the wealthy politicians in the spotlight, the hideous clown gets top billing, the monster as the headline act, your horror gets a walk-on part, your morning cries are extras, your fury is the chorus line, your humanity the supporting cast, and justice waits in the wings, and justice waits in the wings, there they go again. collaboration with Anna Phoebe during the Black Lives Matter uh, riots in June 2020 while justice waits and we also heard from Patrice Cullors talking to Richie Brave at the Rich Mix this week as part of her London tour an abolitionist handbook is out now on Own It. Hi um, 
welcome back. It's been quite a packed show. We've had some. We've had Matt's usual amazing poetry roundup. We've had my art roundup. We have had Walson Shire's amazing work, and um, lots of music. And we're coming to the end of the show now, but we're just coming in to have a final chat with our wonderful guests, Repeat Beat Poet and Violet Malice, who's so lucky to have in the studio today. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask about your creative process. I feel like the older I get and the more I write, I'm sort of spinning plates and all the different outputs and genres are all different plates. And I'm curious if you feel that too and how you navigate it, or if you feel like you're at an all-you-can-eat buffet and all the plates and pieces are just on one plate and it's really, really fluid. I don't really thought about it. <laughs> um, I like all you can eat buffets. <laughs> but I think they in, entice you to eat more than you should. Um, no, I think... Oh, I don't know. I, I think you should... Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I'll, I'll just jump in. Um, I'm kind of... I'm partial to a buffet. Uh, no, so like, I think... It, it's it's always on a spectrum of uh, kind of just where I'm putting my attention. Like I can write in different modes, but it's easier to write in the same mode at the same time for a long period of time. If I need to be writing for different things, like, you know, I'm still writing for hire. I might write this commission or I might be, you know, in a booth writing poems uh, for, 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 a, for a different project, like regularly. And because so much of the value of my writing and so much of my writing voice is honed through editing and like the refining process in the immediate generative moment, I can be like, cool, I can bust this out and I can write in whichever mode. But when it comes to refining what I'm trying to be in that poem or what that poem is trying to do, that's when I kind of fine tune it towards one mode or the other. Um, but obviously there's no hard and fast rules. Everything is on the spectrum. Yeah. That's just me though. Yeah, I get that. It's sort of you've got the instinctive state from your subconscious when you're just initially expressing it and then you'd maybe put an appropriate hat on to mould it accordingly. Cool. That sounds like a good way to do it, to be fair, because it's something I struggle with. Thank you. How about you, Violet? I don't really... That's a really tough one for me because I just write for myself, really. I, I don't... There's no, like, no one asking me to do it. So, <laughs> you know, like... So, yeah, I think I just... It's me, for me, it's just a process of thinking about like how I can express myself and that, that being a journey of like trying to capture something that I think is worth capturing um, and then just going down that rabbit hole with that. I kind of, I love the way lots of people took to video to communicate during lockdown with varying degrees of success. Yours are wonderful, but I feel like there was this kind of... Um, there was this kind of, there was obviously a desire to make narratives and put things together while we, we, we couldn't really live our full lives. And I wondered um, if there's anybody else you were kind of inspired by their films or anything. What, how did you start to put that together? Because yours are really, I think uh, uh, yours are really funny and clever. I th Well, I got forced into it really, so... My friend who makes videos, Jim Driver, who does who does the editing, said to me like, "Just give me a a poem, so just record a poem for me." And then he just came back with this video, and he chopped some stuff into it. And I was like, "Whoa, this is incredible!" Like I, you know, it sort of made my thing something that it, it, it sort of hadn't been before. And then I told him to like put some clips of snooker in it and like Roger Moore, the things that I like. And then it sort of just went from there really I, I don't you know I don't really 
watch loads of stuff so it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily an aspiration of mine so you know it was just almost like an accidental thing that helped me write and then I started writing things specifically with that in mind I think like short things it, really to challenge him actually to make him like I wanted to make it impossible for him to do it <laughs> um so it's actually you know one of those things where I enjoyed the challenge rather than thinking oh I need to like get loads of likes on this because I think social media is like terrible because you know it makes you feel like your stuff is you know invisible because you know obviously Facebook and Instagram you know they they pretend that you've got a big audience but actually all they care about is adverts so when you put stuff out you sort of feel invisible or like it's worthless yeah and the only stuff I've ever you know got traction on on social media is like stuff where I've said cock or something and I just think it just undermines you know, your output when, you know, they're pretending to be all like non, you know, they're pretending to be valuable, but actually what they care about is like baseline, you know, if you've just said something crass, then they'll, they'll show it to like hundreds of thousands of people. And it's just, then you get like addicted to that. So I wanted to ignore the idea of having an audience really, and just give it to him and think, like what can I make to do his like what can I do to make his life difficult mm -hmm. and then they just got put <laughs> out there and I didn't you know and then I sort of like don't want to get sucked into that idea of like loads of likes and stuff because yeah. I think it like ruins you it'll make me make me very upset and anxious and yeah yeah I'm really glad that on Instagram you can hide how many likes you've got because it, it, it's just a much more enjoyable because I'm not putting it up there for likes I'm kind of putting it there like a little diary of what the hell I'm getting up to and gigs and happy moments and and joyful things and things I'm proud of and you know and when you sort of think you're feeding it for likes it just becomes a different animal doesn't it a different thing to do mm. yeah you can take your work in a funny direction too like yeah, yeah you know like you can have something you're like well that got likes so I'll do more of that and yeah. it's like well but maybe that's not that's not the way yeah not always we're coming up to the end now we are we're running out of time um if we've got time we would love to finish with a poem from the repeat beat poet slash peter degraff johnson yes please absolutely i'm gonna uh sneak a small one in small small poems this is another dedicatory piece the first uh, section of the book is all dedications and this is called the faithful it's uh written to anybody who reads or listens to poetry however you get it um the book is available on verve poetry press a testament to life and death go grab that the faithful divine deep drum meets hallowed hall hum where i two-step to activate funk tech and move like mech be the automaton phenomenon here the guest MC and her hip-hop is what I be on. Fan blade rap pace rhymes heavier than a jeep. Vibing with these orchestral chimes and monitor bleeps. When we few were gathered here, it's a moment to keep. These disused tunnels will become reclaimed space where the best beat bangs in tightest embrace. Hearts to hearts pound in the rumble of bass. Escape is this place, is this state, is this beat, in these feet, syncopated and offbeat. These nights, these sights, exalted are these songs. So bring your best schmaltz and we will waltz through hi-hats and gongs. And as the beat goes on and hits me with a lurch, I sing to the faithful. This is our church and this is where we heal our hurt.